morning. How's everybody today? That bad, huh? <laughs> You're already over Christmas, right? <laughs> hey, well, I'm glad to see you. You're not glad to see me, but hey, let's give our praise team a, a hand. Thank you all so much. Um, thank you to the men who cooked breakfast yesterday. Our men's breakfast was yesterday, and they did a great job, and the aroma is in the air this morning, right? You can, you can smell it. Um, but, hey, I love that time, and, uh, you know, hope that you can join us next month for that. Such a great time of food and fellowship and uh, growing in the, in the Lord. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say this, there's hope for you. Some of you are saying, I can't lie in church, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, we're in this series called The Heart of Christmas, and <clears throat> I wanted to look at really some familiar Christmas stories, but dig down a little bit deeper to what is behind these famous stories that we all cherish. And uh, this week I want to talk to you about hope. And when you look at the Christmas story, deep down, especially with what we're going to look at today, you see at the heart of Christmas is hope. hope. I mean real hope. Genuine hope. Lasting, lasting hope. How many of you are short on hope this morning? Yeah, it's easy to, to go in this world and have the things that happen to you, the circumstances that you face, and it sort of eats away at your it's your hope. I've heard it said that you can go 40 days without bread, three days without water, but you can't make it through one day without hope. And I think that I think that's so very true. You know, when I look out at our world, our world is filled with people who are hopeless. Hopeless. Or maybe they're placing hope in the wrong things, right? Looking looking for hope in all the wrong places type of thing. You know, the good news is that Christmas, at the heart of Christmas, is hope. There is hope, and it's lasting, and it's real, and it's, it's genuine, and it's fulfilling, right? That's what Christmas is about. Now, in, in the world, so the definition of hope is this. It's a desire, right? It's more optimism. It's a... It's a desire. In the Bible, when you see the word hope and we talk about hope, it is so much different than that. It's more than just a desire. You know, in the world, we hope things will get better. We hope one day that we'll achieve this or we'll hope that this will happen to our lives. I hope one day, you know, they make like hairy growth stuff that actually works. I, I'm... I'm living the bald life right now, okay? I'm happy with that. But you see, that's worldly hope. Biblical hope is different than a desire. It's this. It's a desire with an expectation. The expectation is never, ever uh, separated from the desire in the Bible when it comes to hope. 
and it's a confident expectation that something is going to take place, okay? Now, our story today comes in Luke 2. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And this part of the Christmas story that we're going to be reading today takes place right after the birth of Jesus. So it'll be a little bit different, um, but I really wanted to share this with you today. Luke 2, we're going to start in verse 21. And I'm going to spend some time introducing these first few verses to get to where we're going. Verse 21 says this, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. So I really like Luke. He's a smart guy. He's very detailed, and he fills in a lot of information for us. Uh, Luke mentions these customs, and these he's referring to Old Testament laws regarding childbirth. And so if you were a Jew and you had a child, there were certain rules and regulations that you, that you followed, right? And so there were three for having children. There was uh, circumcision, there was purification, and then there was dedication, or some, some call it presentation. Okay, there was those three uh, uh, customs that, that they followed. So this, we read about the circumcision that takes place. Now this happens, obviously, for all the males that are born. And this takes place seven days after childbirth. So this is why it says on the eighth day. And it says here that they gave him the name Jesus. And so this is, what, this is how it happened. You know, on the eighth day, just like John the Baptist happened last week, we talked about that, on the eighth day, the child would be named, and they named this child Jesus. More on that in just a moment. Verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So here you see the other two uh, laws or customs that are mentioned here. So you have the circumcision that had already taken place, and then you have the purification. Uh, and this involved the mother. You see, when the mother gave childbirth, there was a period of time where she was deemed unclean. So this period, she had to wait. This period lasted 33 days, okay, after circumcision. So Mary had to wait, and, and at the end of this, there was, there was an offering that needed to be made. And then 40 days after birth, they went to the temple for the presentation, and that is the dedication of the child to, to the Lord. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, Luke mentions the law several times just in introducing this. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So after Mary's purification period ended, an offering was to be made. And usually it called for a, a lamb, right? And in this, Luke reveals to us that, you know, they didn't have the money to do that. And so instead of one lamb, you know, the, the Scripture, the Old Testament uh, laws say that you can offer two doves or, or two pigeons, you know, if you didn't have the money for a lamb. And so that's what Mary and Joseph did. And then after that offering, they would present the child. This would be a formal presentation, like a child dedication, to the Lord. Now, I wanted to set that up, and, and you'll see why in just a moment. 
But Mary and Joseph followed all the laws that they needed to. They were faithful to keeping the laws. And they, they went to the temple to, to do these things. And it's in this moment, as they are doing this, as they are being faithful and obedient to the Lord, that this story of hope begins to unfold for us. Okay? And this is where they encounter two extraordinary people. The first guy, his name is Simeon. So as they're going to the temple and doing these things, they encounter this guy named Simeon. Verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So here we got a guy named Simeon. It's obviously that he was a godly man. He was righteous. He was devout. He was faithful. He was a prophet, right, who, who spoke on behalf of the Lord. Other than that, Luke really doesn't give us details. I don't know if he was a priest. don't know if he worked at the temple, but he went. He was there. And he was an older guy. And what's interesting to me is, is that the Lord had revealed to, to Simeon that, hey, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah, who is the, the Holy One, the Anointed One, the One that all of Israel were, was anticipating to come. This promise had been made to Simeon. You know, Israel had been waiting for a long time, hundreds of years for this. It says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That word consolation means comfort, to console. Think about that. This guy was just, just waiting, anticipating, waiting for the Lord to bring comfort, right? To heal this place, to heal this world, to comfort this world, to make things, to make things right. Simeon had hope. He had hope. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And man, if you go back and you start reading through Luke, you'll see that the Holy Spirit was just all over the place. During the birth of Jesus, the Spirit was all over Zechariah. The Spirit was all over Elizabeth. Mary was filled with the Holy Spirit. Here you see Simeon. The Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 27, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, and so um, in, in doing this, you know, you can't help but notice how the Spirit is orchestrating all this, can you? I mean, the Spirit is bringing Simeon and, and Joseph and Mary and Jesus together in, the, in this moment. Verse 28. All right, so I know those of you that have had children and you've and you got a little baby. It's kind of weird when people come up and want to hold your baby, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's awkward. I mean, what do you do? Here or up? I don't know. Did you wash your hands? Or, you know, this, this guy, never met him before, just comes up and, and, like, takes the baby out of the arms. Simeon took him in his arms, and he, <laughs> he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Man, 
Imagine for a moment holding Jesus in your arms. Wow. This guy actually had the privilege of, of doing that. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple, just somehow immediately knew that this was the Messiah, knew that this was the Lord, went up and held the baby in his arms and began praising and, and worshiping God. And, and he, he saw, look, what had been promised to him came to fulfillment. He saw with his own eyes the Messiah. And man, he was so happy. You know, we've heard, we've, you've heard of bucket list, and, and usually the top of your bucket list is the thing that you want to do most. Hey, Simeon could cross the top of his bucket list off. He had seen the Lord's salvation. And it says, you can now dismiss your servant in peace. It sounds kind of morbid, but look, he said, there's nothing greater than this. My life is complete. Right? He, you've brought peace. And what was he looking forward to? The consolation of Israel, comfort, peace. Man. And not just, not just for, for Israel, but he also says a light for revelation to the Gentiles, for, for everyone else too. In verse 33, at doing this, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. So, you know, Joseph and Mary had heard some things from the angel. They had heard some things from Elizabeth. And so they were getting some details about what this child would be. This is the first time that they were really uh, hearing about how great he would be to the whole world, right? Not just the Savior of Israel, but the Savior and the hope of the world. Verse 34, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So, wow. I mean, come on, Simeon. <laughs> hey, he's a party pooper, isn't he? Don't invite him to your Christmas party. Like, I mean, you'll be having fun and he'll just bring the whole thing down. It's interesting to me here why he did this. And when you think about what a prophet is and what a prophet does, what do prophets do? They speak what the Lord tells them to. That blows me away. That God wanted Mary to know this. Man. And true prophets spoke what the Lord wanted them to, and, and the Lord wanted to prepare Mary's heart, so to speak. Hey, look, this is not going to be easy, and this child's life is, is going to be difficult, right? And, it, and eventually, the, the birth of this child is going to lead to his, the death of this child, right? After this strange encounter, Simeon walked away and walked off the pages of history. Never mentioned again. At, at this moment, as soon, as soon as he walks away, somebody else comes up to him. This lady named Anna. Verse 36. 
there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. Hey, Luke, come on now. Be a little nicer than that. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. So here's this older lady, like Simeon, just an older person. And, and we really don't know her age here. The scripture is kind of difficult to interpret. She could be 84 years old. Some uh, translations say, you know, that, that she's 84. Or she could have been a widow for 84 years, which would make her over 100 years old at this point. But, but she's, she's older and she's a widow now. But just like Simeon, she was devout. She was faithful in her life and how she served the Lord. She worshiped all of the time. Notice verse 38, coming up to them. I love the way Luke includes this little detail. At that very moment, Simeon walks out, here comes Anna. At, At that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So she, just like Simeon, led by the Spirit as well, he just, you know, hey, goes up to, to this couple with this, this little baby, and she just starts praising God. Like Simeon, Anna had hope. She had hope. They were looking forward to the redemption of Israel, and that is a, a synonym for the consolation of Israel, the salvation, the comfort of Israel, right? And there was a remnant there. There were a group of people in and around Jerusalem who were also hopeful, and and Anna began talking to them about Jesus and about the salvation that had come. And look, just there was this encounter, and just like Simeon, Anna walks away and is never mentioned again. Joseph, after this, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus returned to Nazareth. I know I spent some time reading that there, and um, I'm not done yet. But what is it about this story? I mean, it's a great story, isn't it? Um, There's so many things that we can take away from it. Here's the remarkable truth, okay? Um, In in the Old Testament, Luke was very careful to include lots of Old Testament things in there. You know, in the Old Testament, it talks about the need of having two witnesses. Okay. And, and even 2 Corinthians 13, 1 says, by the, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. And so here we have Simeon and we have, we have Anna and they are faithful and they are, they are just and they are, they are devout. And, and both of them at this moment is coming up and saying, the hope of the world has arrived. What is God telling us here? Hey, it, this word is confirmed. What these two prophets are saying is confirmed. This is true. And I want to share this with you right here. Hope is alive. This isn't just something that is uh, you know, out of our grasp or something that we can imagine. It's real hope. It's confirmed. It's established. Hope is alive. The heart of Christmas is hope. And look, folks, I'm talking about real hope. 
lasting hope, a, a living hope. When we think about Christmas, we think about birth, there's life there. And what Jesus is, is hope. He's alive. We all love Jeremiah 29, 11. And this time, and the people of God really were like questioning hope. And, and they were depleted and, and wondering if God really loved them or what was going to happen to them. And God spoke again through another prophet, Jeremiah, and he says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And I see this right here, Jeremiah 29, 11, being fulfilled at the birth of Jesus. Hope was given when Christ was born. And this, I don't have this verse in my notes, but I think it's on the screen. Is it Galatians, Gwen? Okay, I'm going to have to turn around and read this, sorry. All right, so, you know, Luke was very careful to mention all these Old Testament laws and all these, all these customs. And, 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 and notice this, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so we might receive adoption as sons. Man, Mary and Joseph were very careful to be faithful to the laws, to honor the Lord in that sense. And you know what hope means? It means that you and I can be children of God. Because Jesus was born, look, you can be a child of God. And how great is that? And it's not just, right, certain group of people. It's not just this nation or that nation. But Jesus, according to Simeon, is a light of revelation to all the Gentiles. And I love what Matthew 12, 21 just states very plainly and very simply but very profoundly. And in his name will be the hope of all the world. Now hope, hope is a lie alive i love oh holy night that's probably my favorite christmas song i'm not going to sing it <laughs> but the world is beckoning for hope starving for hope and i love this phrase here long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appears and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. That is at the birth of Jesus, because hope was born when he was. Hope is alive. I read this statement here. Jesus turns our hopeless end into an endless hope. That's so good. Hope. Hope is alive. That's what Christmas is about. I want to leave you with this. Is hope alive in me? Hope is alive, folks. Jesus came. It's established. It's set in place. It's confirmed by God Almighty. Here's the question. Is hope alive in me? You know, have you looked to Jesus as your Savior? Have, have you placed your faith and your hope in him have you told him right in your heart 
Had he told him, Jesus, my hope is in you. My faith is in you. Have you done that? If not, look, the best that you can do is have the worldly hope, which is just a desire. Biblical hope is hope with expectation. Hope with knowing. I love the way Romans 5, 5 starts out. This hope will not lead to disappointment. <laughs> hope won't. Do you know what every other hope will lead to? Disappointment. You can hope in your career. You can hope in finances. You can, you can hope in your family, your friends. Hey, at some point, you will be disappointed if you place your hope in anything else but Jesus Christ. Because he, this hope, will not disappoint ever. You can place your hope in your health. And uh, we got a family member who was recently diagnosed with lung cancer. Um, and she's in her 50s, relatively young. And she is, uh, you know, that would, that would devastate anybody, right? But she's falling apart. She's not a believer. And it's just, there's no hope for her. And you can see it in her face and how she's reacting and responding. You see, hope in Jesus far outlasts anything that we encounter here. Even death itself. You know, maybe you know Jesus, but are you, are you living with hope? Are you living with hope? Simeon and Anna had hope, and, and the hope that they had in the Lord affected how they, they lived. You have to see that. They, they both were watching, and, and that means that they were, they were looking forward to the Lord, right? Their, their gaze was, was focused upon, upon Him. They were doing other things. They were going about their daily lives, but look, they were watching. 1 Peter 1.13 says this, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. I just wanted to read that. It sounds weird and cool. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully, fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know what? Jesus came, came once, and he was established by two witnesses. Revelation talks about Jesus coming again and being established by two witnesses. He came once, and he's coming again. Again. And our hope is in Jesus, and so our, our hearts need to be set where our hope is. Does that make sense? And, and some of you, look, today, you need to gird up the loins of your mind. I don't know what that means, but just do it. Our minds can be so many different places. Here, there, everywhere. This and that. Hope in Jesus is an expectation, you see. Look, Jesus brought hope into the world, but you can't have hope in the past. That, that, that's, that's, 
Impossible, right? You can't hope for something that's already happened. Because of Jesus, you can have hope, but you look to that hope that's coming to you. And you live like you have that hope. See, me and Anna, so they were watching, but they were also waiting. And there's a way to wait when you have hope in Christ. Titus 2.11 says this, For the grace of God has appeared. Jesus was born that offers salvation to all people. And what does that do? What does that truth do to us? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So today, what do we do? We gird up our loins uh, of our minds. We, we look to Jesus. We watch and we wait and we be faithful. That's what hope, the hope in our hearts overflows into our lives. Like if, if we hope in Jesus and we really expect him to come, how does that affect how we live today in this present age? Verse 13 says this, we do this while we wait, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? What a great reminder today of the great hope that we have. It's in a great Savior. Savior, man, is, is hope alive in you today? And hey, we're just human. We're just human. Going through this life, you'll get beat up. You'll get knocked down. It's real easy to lose hope. Hey, but the good thing about Jesus is hope in him never fades. It never goes away. It's always there. I, I read this statement, too that I really liked. Hope in Jesus is more, more than an attitude. It's an anchor. Here's the one thing I know about anchors is they don't move. Attitudes change. Attitudes can be affected by circumstances and situations. Hope in Jesus is not an attitude. It's an anchor. Man, maybe your hope tank is a little low today. I just want to encourage you. I love what Jeremiah 17 says. This is not on the screen, and I threw this in my notes last minute, but I felt led to share this with you. Hope gets you through today. Hope gets you through tomorrow. Hope strengthens you, and it brings comfort. Hope brings peace. Hope brings energy that you did not have. Hope renews your soul. Jeremiah 17, 7 says this, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green. And it will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will it cease from yielding fruit. You want to know how to make it through this world and have hope in Jesus Christ. I want to finish with this prayer straight from Scripture, Romans 15, 13. I love this. May the God of hope. Hey, it, he is a God of hope. That's who he is. And he sent his son to be your hope. Why? Because he is a God of hope. He wants you to have hope. 
to never, ever go a single moment in this life without hope. May you be reminded of that. And may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with the hope by the power of the Spirit. Wow. That's my prayer for you today. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. God, Scripture teaches us that before then, before you sent your Son to us, we didn't have hope. But thank you, thank you, God, our Father, for sending hope into the world, real hope, lasting hope, hope that never fails. God, help us to put our faith and our trust in that. God, help us to live our lives with the expectation of the hope that we have, that, that you hold us and you are with us and, and our inheritance and, and eternity is, is in heaven and that you are coming for us. Help us to live with that truth in mind, God. God, today I pray for the heart that you are drawing to yourself, that you are speaking to right now. God, that they don't, they don't know you. They've never really trusted you. God, but you're calling them, even as I speak, through your spirit. God, I pray that you would fill them with hope. Fill them with the truth, the knowledge, the love of your son, Jesus Christ. And he came to this world for them to offer them a hope and a future. God, I pray that they would give their life to you today. In Jesus' name we pray.